This podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has the potential to be completely irrelevant. This is Property Jam. Welcome to this episode of Property Jam, the podcast where we talk about everything on the human side of property. And on this episode, we're blessed. We haven't just got one, but we've got two brothers. Like you are brothers, right? Like We are had, brothers, uh, yes. See, absolutely. I didn't know this. I actually just joined the dots because we have okay. Simon and Paul Davis from Nimbus Maps. They co-founded Nimbus Maps and they are here with us today to share their experience and property story. So boys, over to you to introduce yourselves. Who are you? <laughs> uh, well, hi, Joe. Simon, oh, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> People think we're twins, actually. So uh, that, you that's do look alike. For me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Paul, over to you. You can introduce yourself. I can introduce you. I'm the younger of the two, <laughs> two twins, so it's not Just, funny to ask yeah. who, who's the older one. So, so I'm Paul. I'm one of the founders here at Nimbus. Um, and yeah, we we produce software for to help you find and assess property. Really, it's kind of simple as that. Cool. And I'm Simon. I'm the other founder. So there's two of us, uh, brothers, co-founder of Nimbus. And uh, yeah, so I guess on a day-to-day basis, I'm trying to build and run the business and Paul's trying to build and and uh, run the products I think that's the sort of split between the two of us so yeah very pleased to, to join you today Aww. amazing gosh so how did Nimbus all come about like and yeah do you guys get on your brothers does this work <laughs> I was literally thinking the same thing yeah all I can say is the pandemic's been brilliant so uh, in terms of not having, to, not having to spend too much time in a room with my brother for 18 months so, uh, but it's, uh, yeah no it's um so how do we come about Paul I suppose we can sort of go back our little backstory of I guess doing our own investments and developments um and in terms of around the West Midlands, we're doing a lot of kind of conversions of uh, commercial buildings to, to residential. Did quite a lot of HMO stuff. So obviously Matt and I have spoken about that at, at length historically. So a lot of student stuff in the centre of town, did some um, retail. We did a bit of uh, industrial and a bit of offices. And I guess, uh, Paul, we, we got to the point where we, we, we tried to buy a site actually off a, a rather large landowner who said, um, go away quite honestly uh, we don't want to sell it to you and they said well could we do a joint venture with you guys we've got a really interesting potential project on your property one thing led to another we did that that project with that that uh, is actually a pub company and we went from one site uh, for them we actually end up reviewing six thousand sites and unearthed uh, would you believe it sort of 100 million pounds worth of previously un, un, unrealized latent value in that estate um so we kind of did this piece of work and to be honest, we, we sort of looked at the uh, looked a way to do it. And I guess it was not easy to say, how do I look at 6,000 pubs across the country for options? And we basically came up with a, a technological solution to it, being, I guess, technologists at heart and always looking for a technology uh, approach to problem solving. So actually, we, we came up with Nimbus as a, sorry, about five or six years ago, is that right, Paul? Sort of come up with a solution to try and educate ourselves and how do we, how do we uh, sort of establish what you can assess a property, what your the options are with it across the country, built it for ourselves. People saw it, they rather liked it. And then they said, could we have access to it? And then five years later, we've got... because we were so sort of that, that sort of journey took us 
looking at pubs and back in the day the old a4 use you had permitted rights down to a1 which meant we'd got sainsbury's and tesco's and co-op all kind of sort of fighting over these pub sites we're helping the pub companies with and and we're sort of off the back of unlocking quite a lot of that stuff for them it's sort of we were we were sort of showing them they were sort of saying, well, actually we're also looking at some other stuff around in these locations as well and so we're sort of showing them sites we'd found sort of writing to owners of stuff that kind of looked broadly speaking on profile for what they're after um we were like what do you think of this site and we're sort of showing them on this this sort of website we've got for ourselves that we're kind of using and they were like mm, kind of interesting but what's this what's this website you've got and can we use it and so we sort of ended up sort of thinking well probably and trying to work out how we did that and so that was the earliest kind of some of the, the first licenses we sold for Nimbus were were to our kind of our clients that kind of those sorts of companies really so it was um it was a yeah. Sort of interesting journey to go on anyway so yeah Absolutely. scratching your own itch i think they call it but um <laughs> <laughs> it's how most businesses start isn't it you come across a big fat problem and go well could we solve this and make some money out of it and also help yeah. ourselves in the process and other people yeah. right you're a problem yeah. solver mm. yeah i think and that, that's the technology i think that's what we're, we're both passionate about so when we work well together it's kind of trying to solve their problems and then perhaps looking at technological solution that's where we sort of truly aligned don't get me wrong there are days when we're not but <laughs> won't go into that as much but uh, yeah it's, well, uh, no, well, hang well, on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, let's go into that let's go into that actually. oh no <laughs> I, I, wait I yeah you're on the human side of property this is not this That's strategy true. nuts and bolts nonsense no we get into the human side like what does it truly mean to work with your family <laughs> well do you want to start that one paul or i'll uh, I'll, I'll tone mine down maybe if you uh, <laughs> depending depending how you answer your question paul but uh, yeah no, i think it's good yeah, sorry you carry on paul yeah you know, i think kind of whenever you're setting up a company and you're sort of working hard at that you know you, you you're trying to work out what problems have you got and which are the most important ones and kind of there's always too much to do there's always lots of problems to solve and sort of trying to agree which ones are the right ones to solve and in what order and how fast and this sort of stuff is is where you know you, your passion comes out no we've got to do this this no we've got to do this over and and i think it's just purely it's sort of and if you're passionate about that then you know you passionately believe that what you're doing is right and you have to kind of agree a, a common ground and if you're brothers then you shout at each other and it's simple as that yeah. but you kind of both I think that's, just, that's the passion i think you can you can demonstrate your passion perhaps a bit more around your problem solving than you perhaps can do with external parties i guess a little bit more and we can be and we we do challenge ourselves i think the the, the good thing is that we're not we have quite different personalities and it's good that we actually have that sort of um sort of yin and yang i guess almost to the problem and coming from different angles but we do challenge each other quite hard and i think that's that's a good thing to try and find those solutions we do you know you have your moments but i think you can probably say more to your your, your siblings and your family than you perhaps could say to to uh, people outside your family and you could <laughs> still come back and uh, uh, and and talk to each other the next day around the, the Sunday rows, can't you really? So, um, although I haven't invited me around for a long time, Paul, but so uh, I'm not sure. No, but it's, it's, it's good that you guys are in property first and then you found found this problem uh, within the property industry. And, and uh, it's something that, you know, we see quite a lot is how kind of backwards the property industry is. It's so, out, as an industry, it's so outdated. Um, when with when with the rest of the kind of industry taking off in certain certain ways and properties just massively behind, um, and so obviously that's that's where you guys come in and, and spotted these opportunities to to use big data and essentially that's what the property industry is missing is 
is is information and speed <laughs> yeah i think also i think one of the big things is that um it's it's always very useful to have a sort of third party objective view of something and mm. data and a, a report is a great way for you and i to sort of negotiate around obviously the property industry is about negotiation and and trying to do deals and trying to find common ground aren't you you want to buy something i want to sell something trying to find that common ground to shake hands on and it's quite difficult sometimes to get that transparency in the industry without going to a to a human, I guess, and without getting that sort of, and you're getting probably subjective opinion of something. You always feel like you're getting a subjective opinion. Whereas if you and I could negotiate around perhaps a set of comps or a set of five comps, and we can then have an argument around the pros and cons of these comps, at least we've got something as a as a baseline starting point, which is, I think, is always very helpful for, for both the buyer and the seller in a double side of the transaction. We hope that that sort of transparency will create greater confidence that then will allow more stuff to happen, more deals to happen, more things happening quicker and exchanging quicker. That's that's one of our our sort of visions to, with this this data and this transparency. It's great an objective yeah, of opinion. Of, I think it's also um, that lack of transparency is kind of where you, it's where you make mistakes. Um, mm. And sort of, it's where, not only can you, you don't necessarily make mistakes, but it's where you can make mistakes. It's kind of in my head when you kind of come to exchange, you know, you, you're sort of, you want, as many of the problems to have been ticked off as you've gone through that due diligence process possible and and there are some sites where they sort of you get more and more problems and actually those then you're kind of pushed to say well do you want to exchange now do you want to exchange you kind of lawyers saying well they're pushing for exchange you're going to sign you're going to sign you're going to sign and 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 it's just really useful to have that kind of objective view at that point and then yeah. not getting emotionally committed to this stuff is kind of where it's where it's i don't think the lawyer will tell you at the end of the day right i know you know drawn to exchange but they're pushing us to exchange but there are these five things that you know from a lawyer's point of view are the, the, you know the uh, insurmountable this is red lines, yeah. if you, do, yeah. you know these are these red lines are, are you going to do the deal and but this i wouldn't or, you know it's kind of you've got you're always pushed on something i think there's always that fear isn't it you're going to sign on the dotted line you contract your bound you stick your 10 percent deposit across and have i missed something have i bought mm -hmm. uh you know a, a you know the problem and which they other people have got rid of and stuff like that and I, I think that's always on the back of your mind isn't it when you buy something that is there something that looming that i've missed or i've missed an, you know something um that's going to cause that's me kind of where, problems later on that's then also where um you know i think this kind of concept of of a pipeline of opportunities is is something that's so powerful and so valuable in the property industry that historically when we were kind of buying stuff there wasn't really that kind of we didn't have 100 opportunities we were looking at we had one or two that were sent through for the friendly agents that we were kind of almost they'd sent four or five through we hadn't bought one of them you kind of feel like well will they send us any more they're kind of you know we we sort of burning our goodwill with these people and so you it's sort of that kind of concept of having enough opportunities to be able to say no to stuff when it's not quite doesn't quite feel right it's kind of it's, it's diverging and this sort of stuff is is a really powerful thing nowadays and that I think is something that the property hasn't had. And of course, then if you haven't got that pipeline, you can't then, you know, you, you can't work out how you pre-qualify stuff. You can't do any of the stuff that most businesses do, which is kind of what, what you're saying, Matt, isn't it? In terms of where sort of the, the industry is very much um, kind of struggling in an old in an old way, doing old stuff that mm. um, that you can't then apply these modern techniques. I mean, not modern techniques, are they? It's kind of just simple marketing, simple sales techniques. It's kind of there's nothing. Kind of too rocky you can't even apply that if you haven't got that that pipe simple transparency isn't it there's there's simple trans you know you can buy a car these days and you've got lots of choices around and you can pretty much work second hand you've got to, you can you and i can work out pretty quickly what a car's worth with x number of mileage and, and, and an age and a and a model which you don't seem to be able to do very easily certainly haven't been able to do very easily with property and having that sort of availability of choice 
property's worth so much more. It's, you know, why, why is that the case? Well, I mean, that, that's kind of the problem we're trying to fix, right? It's like everything. When you're a property investor, there is, you're just doing so much. And if you're not doing, you're having to delegate. And I think so much actually hinges on your responsibility to get something across the line that's good, that works, the numbers stack. And if you've got those backup systems that just solidify, reinforce not only what who you've delegated stuff to confirms, the professionals that you're working with confirms, but also then presents data that validates it. You're like, no, okay, no, this is good. This, this works, this works. And it just gives you that sense of, yeah, I'm, I'm making a good investment here. And I think yeah. without this technology, that's what's missing. Because like you say, there's this that inevitable human bias that just comes with everything. Yeah. Um, I love that objectivity. And I think, yeah. I think I, kind of what, what really strikes me is that the property industry historically has been kind of very forensic it's kind of you know you're you're trying to unearth things you're kind of forever looking sort of looking underneath stones trying to work out well is there a you know a bag of nails underneath it or not and you're sort of trying to work this stuff out and and kind of you often then you never quite know if you've turned all the stones over yeah then get to the point of well do you want to buy this thing it's like you've still got three stones to overturn but do you want to buy it or not and you're like I don't know you know and that's yeah. really kind of where that sort of comprehensive look and like, well, the data all looks clear. I mean, data is information. Information is knowledge, isn't it? It's just like, it's just <laughs> having it there. Yeah. I sort of feel like it's something that we deserve as investors to have that there and, and hence the um, sort of supporting information, really. So no, definitely. But also, sometimes we don't know what the stones are. Like, that's yeah. another thing, right? You're just you just don't, you don't know. Yeah. yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And that's the thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but like in property, it's like the steepest freaking learning curve on earth because you're yeah. suddenly just thrown into this world. We have to take into consideration so much. And if there's a stone that you don't know about, you, you can really scupper a deal. So having, yeah. again, that technology that identifies it and allows you to consider it and then analyze it, you're like, oh, yeah, they were good. And maybe factor it into your appraisals, factor stuff in, put some contingencies in, you know, okay, we're going to have to do an asbestos survey certain age of building and there may be something put some money aside for it so at least you're going in with your eyes open rather than than missing stuff but coming back to your point on you know there's information about the deal and making the right investment choice but also making the right choice around who to help you with your deal whether that's planning whether that's an architect what's your chances what should the decision i should make with this property and again a lot of that can be unearthed with the data once you actually aggregate it and link it together that's the challenge there's nothing there's just so much data, but in a in a mess out there. It's like a, a puddle of data rather than actually a constructed, organized. And they talk about a data lake, but it still doesn't seem very organized, but a nice structured decision-making process. This architect is good at helping me do HMOs. This architect is good at helping me do offices to, to residential. You know, who's good and who's bad? Very, you often ask for referrals, but it's not necessarily because that's the relationship. We talk about people and the humans, but is it best for you? It's the right people in the right seats. We talk a lot about this in business, like the right people, the right seats, not necessarily just putting the people you know into the seat because it might not be the right one for you. Very difficult, but if you've got the choice and you've got an objective view of the world, it's much easier to make those choices to have that sort of uh, transparency. Think about the kind of stuff you guys are doing with HMOs and things is that, you know, your strategic land architect or your strategic land planner is not the person to go and roll out to go and do a, an HMO scheme where you're converting an office to residential under old class O or new MA or whatever it is, you know, and then doing a, a, a planning application to convert it to HMO afterwards. They're not the people to do that scheme. They're people to go and do a thousand units on the edge of the settlement. It's a very different skill set. And they won't know the British standards that apply and all of the policies that apply to all that kind of stuff. And actually knowing who those people are is 
is so important to getting these schemes to schemes to work and and be successful as as we should do. So, so this this quite um, quickly moves on to the question. Oh, sorry, no, I would like to take over. Matt <laughs> <laughs> slowly dies in the corner. Matt down, <laughs> man down, man down, man down. Oh well, don't worry. So I think what Matt was going to say is, what does the human side of property look like to you guys? Um. I mean, one of the big, big sizes, I mean, it's it's a very much a relationship. It's obviously exactly in terms of doing those deals. It's, you still, although we're talking about a physical asset, bricks and mortar on the whole, or whatever, it's still framed and some cladding, it's still done between people, isn't it? So you've got to, to have that relationship and not necessarily 100% trust, because you're obviously off the side of the deal, but to have some respect for each other that we're trying to reach a common goal in achieving this deal, whatever that is, whether that's a letting, whether that's a, you know, a, a purchase, whether that's a, a funding and stuff like that. So it's still, although we talk about the physical asset, it's still all about people and all about the relationships, the stakeholders around the properties. That's why we make a massive thing about it, the connecting bit of our, of what our journey is. It's fine, assess, you know, the properties, but it's connecting. Who are the stakeholders? Who's the best person to occupy this? Who's who owns it? Who's the person to speak to? Who's the agent that might act for that owner? Who who, who can help me finance and, and do that sort of stuff? So it's still very much down to, great, I found a project, but I've still got to deal with people to get my project to go through. So it's still an enormous part of the property industry to be able to, um, to get anything done, to be honest. Absolutely. And it's, it's that kind of black book of the industry that's so, it's kind of what makes it tick. And it's, and really that's kind of, one of the the really powerful things and i suppose kind of a really good example of that some is our first first development sites we we've got a site that we in effect we chose the wrong design team for it and it sort of plunged us into a right mess of a, a whole load of problems um and so we went through the process the wrong way and then off the back of kind of working out how not to do it we then worked out did everything the opposite of what we did the first time around then that would probably get us in the right place and and we did, and we with a much better design team, and then we were successful with the scheme. And and so it was it was kind of so apparent that if you if you pick the right person to support you with that, and you you leverage the black books of these people, and actually the people that we were instructing the second time round had got relationships with other people that were doing similar stuff to us. It's kind of all really obvious how you kind of find these people. It's kind of how do you find these people is the is the is the key thing. And and there's just tricks and, and tips around all of that. It's like Joe said, it's like it's a massive uphill learning curve. Nobody's there to hold your hand through that journey. And that was with a lot of experience, and especially you know talking about family. You know, work with my father who's a property lawyer, and you know, and it was you just you don't know what you don't know, and you you think you're going to a decent outfit with all the sort of badges and the nice offices and the rest of it. But they just got absolutely very expensive, you know, mistakes you make on the way to then get the right design team. And but you know, you learn from your mistakes, don't they? Say you know, you know, there's no such thing as a, a you know, if you learn from it, it's not really a mistake, is it? But it, it's it's kind of um, it's exactly that, isn't it? To choose the right people to support you, uh, it makes the world of difference, doesn't it? Across oh, all parts of your life, hundred percent. Do you know I did a masterclass the other day, and it said one of the most vulnerable points of being an entrepreneur, one of the easiest mistakes to make is hire someone nice, but who's ineffective. So it's kind of what you were saying is like, you take on somebody based on a recommendation, but the project or development that you're doing might not be a like for like. Therefore, even though they're great, you have an excellent rapport with them and they're good at what they do, you're basing it on the wrong grounds. And therefore you take on somebody who's not fit for purpose. 
business. And I think that is so easy to do because the whole time you're in a space like property, which is an entrepreneurial space, you just feel like you just want to be supported by good people. And that can often, you know, I think in the early days cause you to make misjudgments on who you appoint. But again, like you say, it all comes out in the wash and it just takes a bit of experience and learning. Yeah, and that's probably why we, you know, you go to work together. Is that nice and, uh, what did you say, nice and nice uh, effective? effective. Yeah, well, yeah. Which one of those, Paul, are you? Sorry, God of... Uh... Brotherly rivalry. <laughs> but, oh, brotherly, oh, you've got to bring some sibling rivalry into it, haven't you? But uh, no, no, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's that kind of um, decision-making and having those people around you. And it's, it's tough, isn't it? It's just tough. But otherwise, everybody would be doing it if it was that easy. You know, come back to the yeah. same old adage, isn't it? If it was that easy, everybody would do it. So. <laughs> well, that's exactly and, it. That's why a lot of people stop. They, they hit all these obstacles and these problems early on, don't, can't figure out a way around it or don't have the experience or the team around them and then just drop it and move on to something else. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's what exactly. we make. We make. Sorry, Matt. We make a big thing about, um, I think, as you, you know, it's reasonably well, that we make a big thing about not just giving you data, but sharing our knowledge and our experience. It's a big part of what we're about is to, to share what we've learned and the mistakes. Don't get me wrong. We've made a lot of mistakes around property development. So it's a combination of of the data and and the sort of learnings and the, the information. So it's it's a double, and that's a huge part of what we want to to help you know help people to be more successful with their property investments and developments. And it's not just providing the tools, but also some of the some of the learnings that we've uh, and the mistakes that we've made. So you can hopefully cut some of them out. And that, that we do make a big that is a big big part of what we're about, uh, mm. rather than just being a, a faceless software or data business. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and um, so moving on to um, a bit of the, yeah, I think you come prepared with a question for us. <coughs> Sorry, my yeah, brain's sure. not working today. Very <laughs> wise. All my brain is not working. <laughs> my question is now we're coming out a lockdown, we're oh, sort okay. of out of it. What got you through? Oh, oh I think. Can I speak for all of us when I say actually property jam was one of the biggest things that got us through? Would you boys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Because we, you know, you were suddenly at a loss as to what to do because your whole world got turned upside down. But we kind of felt this responsibility as a podcast to really talk about the stuff that was frightening investors and the human side of property suddenly felt like it was something completely different. You know, how are you keeping your tenants safe? How are you managing a a build? Like, how are you, what's happening? Why are materials so expensive? What are you doing about it? You know, all of, where is the government line on certain issues? And yeah, we just started to really, we opened up. We just started having conversations. At, At that point, we got guests on and there was two things. There was the connectivity with others over zoom so we had that point of connection but there was also we needed each other as friends you know Mm. and um in an industry that we all share and I think for me it was an anchor point um boys I don't know if you felt the same yeah I completely agree I think I've probably said this before even on the podcast it's just having that connection Um, I'm a very sociable person I need people around me um and obviously being in lockdown was very difficult to get used to not being able to go out and see people or go to the pub or go to the office or whatever it might be um so having the podcast where we could connect with each other regularly it was an excuse if you like for us to connect on a weekly basis or on a fortnightly basis to ensure that we had those regular touch points um to prevent us from going mad and to keep us up to date with what was happening 
Yeah, we kind of we had we had to put an episode out every week, and yeah, I, and my background being in music and audio engineering, I was always kind of thinking, well, the you know, the quality of the podcast has got to be really, really good. We're always going to do it in person. We're going to use the nice mics with the nice pop shield, and we're going to do it properly around the table. And we're always going to we're going to make guests come to us and uh, drink and drink with us yeah. as yeah, well. Yeah. So, um, which is essentially how um, uh, we got we'll through lockdown. <laughs> and, and <laughs> <through> lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was the whole ethos behind behind the um, yeah, the podcast was that the three of us, um, you know, got together and kind of just talked shit about property. And um, it was like I say, and, and we generally did it over a bottle of wine. So we just thought, well, let's put a microphone in front of this um, and a big explicit warning at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Mostly because of me. I'm just going to put my hands up. I swear a lot. <laughs> yeah, you've, been, you've been very good today, actually. I'm really being well behaved. You've no idea. You've been very good. Um, and... Um, yeah, we just had to put the episode out, and yeah, the, the, I think the excuse of um, connecting and and the fact that we had to do it over Zoom meant we're just like, okay, fuck it, let's go and um, get some guests on, and and I'll get over myself, um, and yeah, it, it it worked really well because that's when the podcast really really grew quite quite a lot so over that that kind of pandemic period. Um, we hit our kind of best kind of best months um, throughout the pandemic, so um, it was it was really really good. So. But um, yeah, other things that yeah, I, 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 as you guys know, I I had my first child through the through the pandemic, so that was so I kind of didn't really notice a lot. You know, it was a bit weird <laughs> being being at home. But you know, for for me, having a baby is like being in a pandemic, or it's having a, it was being in a pandemic like having a baby. I don't really know, but um, yeah, I, I won't really know till the second one, um, yeah. and that's when the second pandemic will probably hit. Um, <laughs> Um, so 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 yeah it was like yeah just learning how to be a dad really was was kind of the main the main thing throughout um kind of the pandemic and lockdown and um having those life-changing and uh, life-altering events that, that are obviously so so important hmm. good question what about you boys what what got you through um well, I, I don't think i don't think that it's quite the same actually so I, I, we 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 started doing quite a lot of webinars through through lockdown. That was more, I think, out of frustration of people telling us the world's going to fall off a cliff <laughs> and we've never been here before and the future's bleak and we have no idea what's coming because we've never been here before. And, and we were sort of sitting there going, well, we, we saw something very similar in 2008 when Lehman Brothers went bust and the world went to global recession. And so if we do hit global recession again, then what does that mean? And we'd got some ideas and some views around that. So we started, we started doing sort of similar things actually in terms of in terms of those webinars. And turns out we wanted to wanted to listen, which was kind of which was well, really I think in property change creates opportunity change creates opportunity, doesn't it? So you know you're repurposing buildings, you're recycling land. I mean, there's a finite amount of land. And so something like this just creates a lot of concurrent change, doesn't it? And you can be there to support an industry going from you know changing buildings from one thing to another and that change is going to happen and that could be professionals you can help them to find clients that need that help or it's the owners that need some help to do something or people with some money that want to buy the size to do something with it so there was a lot of opportunity obviously a lot less uh, for people to get out and do the deal so we were there to support them with you know with the webinars with the the data creating tools created a lot of sort of this these strategy packages didn't we to try and help them still be productive rather than just you know completely lock down and close up shop and switch off for 12 months so we, we tried really hard to sort of help 
help them and you know in the way we thought we could do stuff and try to keep the message simple and sort of say you know this is how we can help you we see opportunity here for for doing things and that's what we spent a lot of time on and fortunately things are you know with the digital I guess solution things went really quite positively for, for for the business side of things we did an awful lot of work with the team you know the team being remote and I think we had some team members that had family overseas obviously they couldn't see them and stuff like that so we put an awful lot more effort into you know spending time on on zoom we had weekly catch-ups with the team a lot more you know kept putting a lot of time into that I spent a lot of time with the team talking to them just to sort of keep their energy and positivity up really because it was a bit of a it was a challenge not being allowed to go out and for, for less than for more than one hour a day wasn't it and things like that but um, but yeah but I think solidarity coming together I think we, we sort of created stronger bonds actually uh randomly that or um ironically that, that then BAMP should be in together at times because I think that solidarity and coming together was was really good um that's the that's the positive side the really positive side of the human instinct isn't it is that through challenge that you come together and work together so I think that's there's some really positive sides of, of seeing you know what what came out of that um the last 12 18 months as well love it and on a kind of a, a personal note so the way the way i got through it which um i'm always embarrassed to say actually is that yeah. so my my kind of daily routine is that i try to get some headspace in the morning so i go to the coffee shop in the morning and i have a bacon sandwich and a cup of coffee and i do the same every day weekend. every morning you have a bacon sandwich sorry can we just discuss oh. this i know i know yeah your arteries <laughs> Well, yeah. okay, carry on. Sorry, I just take a moment on that. Carry on. So, oh, no. so of course, when lockdown hit, my dear old coffee shop closed. Mm. So I was like, well, what do I do? How do I? Your heart was like, thank you. Yeah, I know. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I did do a little bit of exercise at the same time. It's not quite <laughs> as bad as all that. But the, um, so then kind of when, when lockdown hit, I couldn't go to my, have my, my bacon sandwich. So, so what they then did is they opened the drive throughs up. So what I did is I, borrowed my wife so my big passion in life is, is kite surfing outside family and stuff is kite surfing and so we have one of these kind of vw camper van things that we sort of disappear off the beach and kind of go kite surfing it's kind of it's a bit of a life before kids actually but <laughs> two and a half year old so it's sort of we still do a bit of it it's not quite the same as it was but we still do a bit of it so so my what i used to do is go and get in this van drive to the drive-through get my bacon sandwich and my coffee and then drive that into the car park next to the drive-through and sit in there and log into the supermarket's Wi-Fi and sit and work and have my, my bacon sandwich and my coffee sat in the back of a van um, as my way of kind of getting myself through and pretending, well, if I can't go to the coffee shop, then I'll bring the coffee shop to myself and sit in a van in a, in a car park and pretend I'm still there. So that's quite cool. Of... I like that. I like that. That's really bring, bring the bacon to me. Yeah. <laughs> we, can't, we can't surrender this now. So um... <laughs> no, I think there was something about routine. I think what you're saying is like all of a sudden your your daily routine, your anchor points are just just uprooted. And so you just had to like recreate it in some you know different way. And you're still getting that that fix. I was exactly the same with the gym. So my gym, I, I go five days a week and I just love working out, but m more for my head, I think, than anything else. It's just like, you just need to start your day, you know, on that high. And when that, all the gyms closed, I was completely like thrown. I didn't know what to do. And I felt like I still wanted to start my day, but my gym was amazing. They transferred all of their classes online and they're a very community oriented gym. And so you had that again, that touch point with people that you would be interacting, you know, daily with, but also getting the fitness element from your living room as well. And I would just make sure come hella high water, I would be up at 7.30 to do that gym class. And like your 
sort of bacon sandwich coffee experience it, it was an anchor point it's what got me out of bed so yeah we need that you have to have that yeah I'm the same I, I I swim like five times a week so I do two kilometers every morning but the problem was I can't I couldn't replicate that very easy I couldn't go down the <laughs> yeah. go, go down the storm the drain and have a bit Smash of a swim down there so yeah I've had a lot of baths over lockdown but, um, <laughs> but yeah so I, I got back into I tried to get back into running and then I pinged I was out halfway round and I pinged my uh, hamstring, didn't I? I spoke to Paul. Oh, no. I go, oh Paul, oh, what no. can I do? You played rugby. What on earth do I do? So that kind of, you know, that, that's the problem, isn't it? You, your body gets older and you can't, you still think you can do what you did 10 years ago. So like, on, man. <clears throat> well, you're the, at least I do some exercise and not just eating bacon sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me. At least, uh, yeah. It's, um, yeah. <sighs> Funny. That routine. Oh, yeah, that routine's important, I think. That's, it's, well, it's important to some of us, isn't it? I think that's the crucial thing. Yeah, just to sort of... exactly. Yeah, it's habits. Yeah, that's a success is built on habits. They talk about success habits all the time. And, you know, and that success habit could be the baker sandwich and a cup of coffee. Why not? Coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And, if it gets and a glass it, of wine. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely you know what? The best deals are done at 4 a.m. Yeah, the best deals are done at 4 a.m. in the bar. Uh, yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> I was talking about four thirty in the afternoon. I think with homeschooling, I think it got earlier and earlier. It was, uh, yes. you know, it's ten yeah. a.m. the wrong time to start having a glass of wine. It's, oh, it's no. five o'clock somewhere. Don't worry. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's the Irishman over the, over the yard. Yeah, exactly. Sunsetting <laughs> over the yard. <laughs> right. So I think maybe we could pay, play a quick uh, round of episode roulette. So just for um, just for the new listeners and as a recap for you guys i'm going to scroll through all our previous episodes um and you guys start stop at any point and we give us your opinion basically on the uh, episode that we stop at so it could be anything from tenant stories to builders to licensing you name it um so licensing, i don't know licensing, if- licensing, licensing licensing love a bit of licensing <laughs> wow. yeah. this, this, okay. is, this is how much the podcast has evolved as well we used to think that calling an episode and actually talking about licensing would be a really good topic <laughs> um yeah we, we learned quite quickly <laughs> yeah quite okay. insomnia isn't it i guess but uh... yeah exactly we, we try we try our best okay so i am scrolling stop okay um, well, <laughs> this, is quite, this is quite relevant for you guys episode number nine getting the deals <laughs> getting the deals how do you guys get deals <laughs> nimbus guys how plug, do you get plug, plug. So we, do a lot of, um, we do a lot of deal clinics at nimbus and i think there's there's kind of and there's three ways you can find deals that you can you can look on market and sort of from our surveys it looks about 10 percent of people looking looking at stuff on market um my personal take on that is if you're buying stuff on market you're kind of really in a, in a race to the bottom because the people that that buy certainly development deals on market you're you're either you know to win that bid you're kind of you're putting the highest gdv on a scheme you're taking the lowest bill cost you're taking the lowest profit margin you can in order to be as competitive as you can on land value so so for me that's not the the best kind of the best solution frankly i mean you can do it and some you can get some deals on on, on market but for me it's you're sort of you're hoping the marketplace hasn't seen the opportunity that you've seen and, and that really in a in a transparent marketplace shouldn't be a thing so so that's kind of the first one the second thing then is, is really kind of off market and that sort of splits into two two sections so one is sort of friendly agents 
I've got the sort of the cheeky knob, this thing might be coming forward and and sort of and leveraging that. And that that really kind of relies on those relationships, that kind of that black book we've been talking about. And that sort of is, you know, rounds of golf and pints of Stella on the first tee at yeah. nine in the morning yeah. and this kind of That's stuff. That's what I was going to say, actually, Paul. This is pre-Nimbus. That was how we found deals. We're playing golf at 8.30 and having a can of beer off, off the first yes. tee together with golf club and stuff like that. That's how you got the, the, the your sort of local deals in the past. But, you know, literally, uh, wasn't it, wasn't it? It's like you sort of get teed off and there was this... And you're like, what was... <laughs> Out the bag came a can of tenant soup or something. Oh, I know, I know. Couldn't quite believe that. So, so that's your kind of your second option, and that's quite it's quite a fun way of doing things because it does much more interesting than data. Yes, definitely. And then the third way is then true out and out. I think the the challenge with that sort of second one is that that it's quite hard to get surveyors. And, and agents that really kind of understands and really see the world through your eyes and really see the opportunities that you're you're trying to unlock. So you, you sort of have to sort the wheat from the chaff sort of through that. And and I, I kind of also struggle a bit with that because you kind of you're trying to build a credibility with that person. You're trying to build that relationship. And if you keep saying no to everything, then you know they'll run out of interest in you kind of reasonably quickly. It's once you've bought something, then you kind of sort of best friend kind of thing. But you kind of got to get to that point of buying something in order for that to kind of to, to really work. Yes. And then the sort of the third one then is, is the true out and out off market. And that that's kind of your letter campaign. And that's kind of finding stuff on profile, sending out a lot of letters. And I, I think there's kind of a misconception about how much of that you've got to do. Um, we sort of find that if you send a hundred letters out, then typically you'll do a deal off those hundred. And that I think is a much better, a much kind of neater way of, of doing it because then everything is on profile because you've, pre-qualified that first you've gone off and found the right stuff and then and then unlock that sort of stuff so so for me there's kind of a clear winner in in how you find sites which is that is that sort of third way which is the out and out off market stuff it's, it's got its own challenges you know you've got to you've got to work out pricing you've got to work out you've got to kind of negotiate direct with owners you can't hide behind your agent you can't you know so you've got to be prepared to come and come out your comfort zone and go and do some stuff and go and generate that activity um but if you do then that for me is a much much better way of of doing things you can kind of you can tie stuff up you can do it subject to planning you can kind of share stuff with the owners you can create relationships that way and of course then you can kind of then shout about that with the agents that um that in that sort of second piece and start getting stuff drip fed through you be but then you've got kind of you've got a pipeline of both at that point so so that's really my take on it is is that there's those sort of three ways to do it and there's a clear winner for me but um but yeah what are your thoughts are Simon? Yeah, I think it, it definitely you reap what you sow in, in terms of that. You sort of send the, the letters out, you build those relationships directly with the owner. You sort of have your control of the, the deal a bit more. I think it's it's a lot, you know, there's the stuff to send about. I mean, you know, letters are relatively easy to send out these days with a lot of the of the tools. Um, and I, I totally agree. I, I think the other thing that comes back to that, if you've got um, some transparent data that you could go and talk to the owner about, then you're more likely to converge on a on a price and you won't get you know there's always the risk you get that silly knee-jerk reaction it's like oh on a million quid everything's a million pounds isn't it so i'll kind of that kind of buy that garage yeah it's a million pounds sort of thing that's that's a knee-jerk this is worth two in which case they want 10 million for it <laughs> yeah exactly and then so you kind of get that knee-jerk go away but if you've got some sort of transparency to that. I mean, that the way we started that pub company was exactly the same way. We wrote to them opposite a site that, that we got, already owned, but had a restrictive covenant on their site, so it could be very transparent with what we want to do. 
they wanted a million quid, 1.25 million pounds of this property, which is worth 250 grand. We then got into a deal with them. We did a joint venture and we did a, a, a convenience store to the, to the co-op, but it's exactly the same process. We wrote, wrote to them and then you got some sort of relationship with them. So whether it's a big company, a small company, an individual, but if you've got some sort of transparency of, you know, a starting point to talk to them about, then you can probably quite quickly converge on a deal. I think that's like, like a car, as I said, come back to the car analogy. You and I could find a three-year-old BMW 3 Series with 10,000 miles in blue on one of the, on the trading sites. And you and I could pretty much get a close agreement on what we think that price is. And once you're there and they want to do a deal, that's the biggest stumbling block. It's the price and the, the willingness to do that. So I think that gives you a, a great starting point with that kind of um, talking to them and, and actually having something to talk to them about, not just the property, but some sort of evidence, uh, transparent evidence that you can talk to in the comps. That, and I think that's what's really, really empowered the marketplace to do it themselves a bit more than trusting, you know, the agents. Yeah, and I think that, that, sort of, yeah. that sort of same principle also applies to sort of finding investors. So, you know, if, if you're successful in finding sites, then you've got to find some, you're going to run out of money in buying that stuff. So it's kind of then where do you find your, your investors from? And actually that same principle applies for that as well. It's just purely, you know, you, you can go and trawl the agents and they'll say, oh, I think so-and-so's got some money and you should go check to them and this sort of thing. But then it's kind of, do they really have that? Are they really kind of doing those deals? Is it really kind of, um, you've done that pre, kind of pre-qualification yourself, but of course, what you can do is go and dig those people out. It's not hard to find out who bought those buildings and who bought the, the recent stuff. And then they, they've actually got that. You, you know, they've got the track record before you write to them. And so you can kind of apply the same principles to that you'd apply in your site finding to your finding your investors and you put the two together and hey, presto, it's... And you can exit the project as well more easily, can't you? Or you can give it to the local agents and then they'll probably... They'll, they'll recycle that deal for you and then they'll find you something else to because you know once they do it once an agent sells something for you the first thing they want to do is try and place your money in a new deal so they get you know two fees out of you in effect so they'll be your friend to try and place that money in a new project so you, you gradually build that relationship in parallel you know that sort of off-market you know version one as well as, as two so you kind of get best of both worlds and you'll see a lot more coming across your desk but it's definitely all um, relationships isn't it from what you're saying yeah for sure yeah, yeah. Mm. People do deals, don't they? It's people that do deals rather than you know, 100%. the bricks and mortar people. Do that. Well, yeah, yeah. property is all about people. It's a people business. It's all yeah. about the relationships. Yeah, completely yeah. agree with that. Cool. Okay. Do we have time for one more, Mr. Baker? Let's do a power round. So power like, round. Um, a, uh, one, almost a one or a two word answer to this one. Can I just okay. say, listeners, I know you can't see Matt right now because this is an audio platform, but he looks like an angel in the lights. Not only is his voice oh. weird, his, his voice sounds like the devil, but his face looks like the angel. It's very confusing. Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> very strange. Yeah. Carry on now. Sorry, back to roulette. Okay, so yeah, back to roulette. I'm scrolling again, guys. So shut, stop whenever. You go, son. Oh, sorry, stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the, power, the power round. The oh, power round, yeah. Oh, okay, this is episode 25, Fear. Oh. Yeah. Do you get so frightened? <laughs> well, I guess it's, it's the, the, the oh, I guess it's kind of going back to what, what we, on this episode, we were uh, just about to go into lockdown and the fear that surrounded the whole property industry around that time, what's going to happen? Nobody really had a clue. So how, how did you guys deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. The fear of the, the unknown. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think, so is it, 
Uh, I think it came back to what we said a little bit earlier, but it's like, you know, we, we kind of saw quite a lot of the consequences of the financial pandemic in 2007, eight, and we could see, um, obviously not, it was, a, it was a different instigator that in, in terms of, uh, wasn't a, a virus, but it was, um, and we, we could see some parallels, quite a lot of parallels. So I think uh, Paul and I sat down and said, look, we, we can help this. We can help people quite a lot here by keeping it simple, by just imparting what we've learned from the past. Um, whether they want to listen or not is, a, is another thing entirely. But, you know, we can share our experiences and share what we can now see with what we've created with the data and the information that we didn't have back in 2007, eight. And, um, you know, there was a lot of opportunity. It was about, so we took the view, look, let's not, you know, let this, this uh, sort of affect us too much. And we'll, we'll go and try and lead a little bit and try and help people and really support them, not, you know, internally with the team, but also yeah. the marketplace and our market. And that, that, that was a massive part of, um, of what we wanted to do. Yes, how we so can I, help. Think, I, think, I think what you're saying there is that the data helps you to alleviate the fear. And a lot of people have fear of success or fear of failure. Um, when you pull it together with, as you say, with transparent data, it enables you to um, have a reason not to be fearful um, yeah, because yeah. it's no longer unknown. You have that, that known quantity. So, um, so yeah, I, th I think that's kind of in a nutshell um, what you got. Would you, would you agree with that? That's what you were saying. Yeah, and then we're trying to get people to be continue to be active and don't don't worry that if you can, we can help you continue to be active. The reason you know, you, even though you can't be out and do deals, and you know, sorry, you can't see people face to face. We've got Teams, we've got Zoom. You need some information. You've got properties. You've got people to talk to. We yeah. didn't lose our communication. That was the great thing, wasn't it? We, we maintained our communication channels and improved them, didn't we? The Zoom and Teams and the rest of it. But we, um, you know, we just needed information and opportunities, not projects. And that's what we could supply through the data to keep yeah. people going and keep them momentum going in the industry. Um, just keep moving forward. Just keep moving Yeah, keep forward. activity. Yeah, yeah keep because that's activity. the thing, isn't it? That's what overcomes fear, isn't it? Is that if you, if you just freeze in fear, which is a saying, you, you literally, yeah. you just, you succumb to it. But if you keep moving forward, you find a way somehow to get through the yeah. fear fog. But it, it, it takes, that's the bit that takes the, the support yeah. and the gumption. Yeah. Face face it head on, I think. You know, yeah. it's a bit like, yeah, say, don't run away from the bear, face it head on. And, you know, it, it's uh, it's an easy thing to say in hindsight, isn't it? But I think that's what we're trying to help people say that there are some tools that we've we've learned and some things that we've created as well that will help you go get through this and we're happy to share it with you. It's also kind of knowing that, you know, there's, there's not a lot of problems that you face that you can't, kind of work out with a bit of careful thought like you can't see the answer at the start and that's what where the fear comes from but if you think about it long enough you'll come up with something you won't you may not be kind of what you expect to be at the start but you'll come up with something that will kind of will kind of take you forward and I guess ultimately if you can't do that you're better off trying and failing than never trying at all and so yeah. kind of with those two things in your hand it's like well what's the worst going to happen <laughs> yeah. right um, yeah. just get on think about it and get get a solution and commit to it and get on with it really so um well, I suppose um, uh, on that note, um, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, well, I think it's about time to, to wrap it up. So um, <laughs> say thank you so much, Paul. Thank you so much, Simon, uh, for joining us today. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they would like to? Yeah, we're, our website, www.nimbusmaps.co.uk. Um, we're always there to, to, to help yeah. and to talk. And, you know, 
So Paul is always going to be on the website. So if you have a message, <laughs> yeah, he's on. He's uh, on the chat twenty four seven. The chat box. Even, so even, have even when he's having his bacon sandwich, he's on the chat box. Don't worry. So um. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so brilliant thank you so much guys um, that'll yeah. be a goodbye from me that's a goodbye from me that's a goodbye from me thank, thank you very much from me. and for me too thank you so much great fun come and jam with us on social media where you can hear more and see more on Facebook, search Property Jam Podcast. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Property Jam Podcast. Or you can email us at Podcast at outlook.com. See, See you on the next, next episode. episode.